Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us. we got people looking at the dialing in board here. Everyone dialed in from all parts of the country. Appreciate you joining us again today on this podcast. Broadcast is program, 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 <laughs> my mouth. We're having Trid hanging. It's not hanging over from drinking too much, just all the staying up late and all the Super Bowl stuff. So hope you enjoyed your Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Sam was saying earlier it's like a national holiday, the amount of productivity that happens or doesn't happen on that day because, it, uh, we, we really get into our football here in America. Also, this week we've got coming up the uh, first primary in um, up in New Hampshire. going to be a really interesting week, and I think this is, uh, you know, it's interesting. Super Bowl kind of got trumped a little bit as far as press coverage because of the election. There's so much going on, and this is one of the ones uh, my wife was telling about this. Uh, the headlines are such that because of the nature of the Trump and uh, being involved as well as Bernie Sanders and the dynamics in this election, that uh, that this was the least amount of hype in the press for this Super Bowl Sunday. So it's one report you met. Anyway, it's good to have you with us, everybody. It's Monday, February 8th. We say that for those of you who are downloading and listening to this podcast after the fact. We have, so I'm really excited today's topic. It's an issue that many are still struggling with. It's TRID implementation, and our special guest is Loretta Salzano. She is with the law firm Franzine and Salzano. She is an expert. She works closely with the MBA. A lot of great background she has, and uh, we'll be talking more about that when we come to the Hot topic segment. So we're going to be talking about TRID implementation. Alice and I were together last week. And even the best shops have had some level of struggling with it because of how they're not breaking it down, how they're looking at it. So it's going to be a great discussion. We're focusing this podcast on it, this program, as well as next week's program. Again, this broadcast or podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award, and we're very grateful for that. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. A special thank you goes out to our one of our newer sponsors, Arch MI Mortgage Insurance, the creator of the new innovative rate star product also to motivity solutions and the mortgage industry's leading business intelligence technology tool and technology that's out there that really helps lenders look at in real time reporting dashboards and scorecards so you really can use this tool effectively more on that a little bit later also velma stands for virtual electronic marketing assistant brent emler and the team there at velma are just outstanding in helping getting out you know, you set it and forget it auto campaigns as well as creating really creative campaigns on the fly. We're grateful for our partnership with them and all that they do to support the broadcast. Also, we have as our newest sponsor, Simplifile. Very excited to have them here, and they're going to be uh, our guests next week because they really have some post-trid tools that will help you work with this. You look at timing as of essence and waiting for an email or the latest update. It just doesn't work anymore. With Simplify, you can collaborate with settlement agents on the way and the way you communicate in a real-time manner. You can chat with you. You can message them. You can track, you can share, you can receive and validate documents and data. You can do that 
all through this electronic means that uh, called Simplifile. You can also share changes and updates and deficiencies and statuses in a real-time back-and-forth electronic communication. You can also configure the system to give you notifications and alerts and have a complete audit trail of all of this. I think that's pretty important when you're looking at should you ever get audited or anything that's going on. It's it's an excellent tool. Really looking forward to having them here and on the podcast and on the broadcast next week. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call them at 1-800-460-5657. Of course, we always say a special thank you to Alice and Joe and uh, Paul uh, Malo and Sam Garcia for making this the number one most listened to program in the industry. Upcoming events for the MBA, then February 16th through the 19th, we have the National Mortgage Servicing Conference. That will be in the Hyatt Regency, Orlando, Florida. March 2nd through the 5th, we have the Midwinter Conference up in Avon, Avon, Colorado. Then we also have March 10th, we have the Condominium Lending Workshop, and that is in Crystal City, Virginia. And then also March, April, excuse me, April 3rd through the 6th, we have the National Technology uh, Conference in um, for mortgage banking. It's the one the MBA sponsors about technology, everything technology in the industry. And it's at the JW Marriott Live. I'll be doing a podcast, a broadcast from there. So uh, be sure. I'd love to swing. Have you, let me know if you're going to be there. I'd love to have you swing by the D&H booth from where we will be doing that podcast. To learn more about the MBA conferences and education, go to their website, Google MBA conferences and education. You'll get all the information and you want. Also, while you're Googling away, Google Mortgage Alliance, Mortgage Action Alliance, and get signed up with them. You've got to get these updates so we can stay, you know, look at the lobby the realtors have, and we look at the lobby that lenders have, and it's uh, we, we need to really take advantage of this Mortgage Action Alliance program that the MBA has set up. Joe Farr, good to have you here with us looking at the markets. Another one of those right, interesting Dave. days. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, so give us an update. A uh, lot, lot to talk about. Well, it, it is, and, and it's hard to determine, you know, precisely what to blame things on, but... Uh, uh, yeah, what I was looking it's for. good I for mortgage rates for, today. Yeah, it's good for mortgage rates and bad for the stock market. Is you right, know, what was right. the catalyst for this? Uh, this particular well, day, I, I haven't had a chance it, to look at. It. Yeah, I think it, it kind of stemmed from uh, Europe in that uh, growing concern about the strength of the banks in Europe. Um, you know, there's such a uh, there's a slowdown in the economy. Interest rates are negative. Uh, loans to you know emerging markets and and as a result, there's just concern that the banks are are going to be in for a hard time. And uh, you know the the cost of uh, borrowing money has gone up in some of the weaker nations like uh, Spain and Italy and Portugal, and and the safe havens like Germany and the U.S. are the beneficiaries. Or the money's coming here, and you know, unfortunately, that sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? It does. Very familiar. So you know, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, you know, it's a it's a trend that's continuing uh, throughout the whole month. Really, where concerns about economic growth around the world have caused people to lower expectations for growth, and and uh, you know, concerns growing about the ability uh, of uh, entities and nations to to cover their debt obligations. And yeah, it's just a sort of a pessimistic attitude out there that's uh, causing stocks to sell off and, and bonds to be in favor. Interesting for sure. But let's cover a little bit about what happened last week. Another one of those weeks where, you know, had some, some volatility in there. So 
same same kind of stuff. I mean, MBS prices improved last week another quarter of a point. You know, so far this year, uh, just looking at the three percent three percent Fannie Mae mortgage backed security is up in price two hundred sixty two basis points. Uh, rates have fallen about a half a point in in January. So you guys out there, I'm sure, feeling the benefits of that as people are coming to you and maybe picking up a little refi activity too. Um, you know, the, it, it is due to slowing growth, central bank and stimulus out there. I mean, it, it's just all this all that we talked about earlier. It's just uh, a weakness and concerns about where that's going to drive the overall economy. Last week in the U.S., we saw uh, some similar activity, although not uh, as dire as it seems to be coming out of other countries. But uh, our inflation's low, 1.4% CPI, core CPI, for the year. You know, manufacturing's been uh, a problem for us lately. Fortunately, it's not uh, uh, the biggest part of our economy, but this week we saw not only a, a drop in the manufacturing, a contraction in the manufacturing activity, we saw a slowdown in service sector activity. And service sector activity represents uh, a much bigger part of our economy than the manufacturing side does. We saw job creation slow some. Wages finally started to rise, and that was about the only thing that wasn't good for mortgage rates last week was that uh, five-tenths of a percent increase in wages. So, uh, you know, other than that, that, everything was good. Yeah, it was good to see. But but you're right. This is the good news that that's that. The weird part about the bond market, any good news, has the tendency to be hurting that. But there was overall, it was just another week of five weeks in a row now, I think, as we've had of rates falling. So it looks yeah, like we're off to yeah. another week of the same thing. So that's really interesting. Sure is. We're this starting year. out, we're up 11 today. And, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to see where the the impetus, you know, we've we've improved so much. That's about the only concern I have is we've improved so much in price. It, it wouldn't be surprising to see a correction come along and take some of this away. But, you know, just looking at the economic activity, Janet Yellen's going to be making uh, speaking uh, uh, speeches on Wednesday and Thursday. I think she's doing testimony. I, I didn't get that cleared up, yep. but uh, she can always change the market. Uh, Jolts comes out tomorrow. Retail sales on Friday. Consumer sentiment on Friday. Uh, the European fourth quarter GDP comes out on Friday, and then we got bond auctions on uh, uh, the ten-year on Wednesday and the thirty-year on Thursday. Uh, but again, you know, it's another week started off uh, on a good foot, and uh, at least as far as bond markets and mortgage rates go. So uh, we'll see if it continues. Well, you remember what Les Parker said when he was on here at the end of January. He's talking about the volatility that we can anticipate, much greater volatility in 2016 than we've experienced in previous years. And uh, for the last three years, and he was suggesting prophecy for the last 30 years. But if we start seeing this kind of volatility, it's going to have a big impact on so many letters, the margin calls that could be hitting them. And uh, I said in one of the podcasts that we said earlier that we could see as much, or when I was speaking at the Austin Mortgage Bankers thing, you were there, Joe, and you heard me say, I think Mm -hmm. we could see as much as 35% of the current independent mortgage bankers in some way, shape, or form being deeply impacted, literally put out of business because of these margin calls or having to roll back into a best efforts or 
even head back into broker status because of some of this. So it, this is one of those things where when you look at the volatility, there's one service that I recommend consistently, and it's, of course, MBS Quoteline. Mr. Joe Farr and his team do a great job of updating you uh, with weekly messages or daily messages, intraday messages of everything that's going on. And if you go to the website, this is one of those delayed services. It's real-time, folks. It's great service, Joe. I compliment you on what you Thank do you. and the service you provide to this industry, my friend. Appreciate it. We're going to be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you back, everybody. We have Paul Mauer, who took the time. We appreciate that so much to dialing in to join us. Paul, good to have you here. For those who are not familiar with your web, good to have you always. And for those who are not familiar with your website, Paul, I want to call attention to www. IMFnews.com, a great, excellent uh, uh, tool, and you can sign up for it free, folks, and it just comes ends up in your inbox, so it's uh, really valuable. So what, looking at your website right now, looking at some of the headlines you have, Paul, so let's run through them. Okay, what do we got? Uh, well, finally, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, crunching the MBS data, which we do all the time, the loan-level data, it looks like Finally, we're seeing some uh, credit easing on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. In the fourth quarter, I think it was roughly 14.4% of purchase mortgages um, scrutinized by the GSEs. Uh, they had credit scores ranging from 620 to 699. Uh, back at the beginning of 2014, that was 12.9%. So, you know, th- there's finally some evidence that lenders are, you know, shall we say, taking some risk. <laughs> I mean, it's sort yeah, of, it's hard to... you know, funny in a way. Uh, we, we've been hearing about this for a couple of years. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Only, are you only seeing this in the credit scores, the FICO scores, or are you seeing it also in uh, the DTI ratios there? Is it, you yeah. uh, know? I'm not sure. I have to read the full. I didn't write that story. That was on our website. <laughs> So yeah, go, go read John Bancroft's full story. Now, I, well, you know they look at the they look at the down payments, obviously. Right. They look at the uh, the percentage of FICOs uh, in certain buckets, and you know these aren't big moves. Uh, let's let's point no. this out for a fact. These aren't huge moves, but they're moves. So I, you know, that's the news. I mean, you know, someone's either getting uh, more comfortable with risk or more desperate, depending on, on how you want to look at that. Right. But, you know, as everyone knows, delinquencies are, you know, non-existent over the last two or three years. And, you know, all right, you know, maybe lenders are finally getting more comfortable because ultimately if something goes wrong with the mortgage, you know, they have to engage in buyback negotiations with Fannie and Freddie. But, you know, it looks like things are easing up a little bit. Uh, you know, we cover some of the non-prime lenders all the time, Citadel, Angel Oak, uh, and those guys are doing fairly good numbers in, in production growth. So when we point right. that out on the website quite frequently, 
Uh, for those of you who don't know who Citadel is, there are Dan Pearl Shop in Irvine, Angel Oaks, the one in Atlanta, there's Deep Haven. I mean, those are sort of the new breed of non-prime lenders, and their volumes are, have gone way up, comparatively speaking. So, yeah, look, look there is an easing of credit out there. Uh, it's not uh, dramatic, uh, at least not in the GSE space, but it is dramatic in the non-prime space. They're low volumes, but on a percentage basis, that business is going way up. And then let me tell you, there's a lot of interest in the new, what we call the new non-prime. So, and you know, yep. we got to get off on a tangent there. The other interesting story that we got this morning, uh, we broke. Quicken is out there, basically going to all the MI firms. And we got the bid letter, and they're basically asking the MI firms to give us your best pricing on um, borrower-paid MI, not lender-paid, but borrower-paid MI. They're you know they're going to all the MIs and saying, give us the best pricing, and we're going to pick one or two, one or two of you to uh, do you know for just these certain buckets of business. And they're dangling that, I guess, is is the carrot to try and get some great pricing, which they plan to pass on to their their. Borrowers in the primary market. Now, the question that this raises is: Well, that's all well and good, um, but isn't this going to hurt, you know, pricing and profit margins for the MIs? That's the piece we didn't get into, which we're going to start exploring more. We called Quicken for comment. We emailed them. They didn't get back to us. The letter was provided to us from a source. Um, you know, it's an interesting story, and we'll continue to follow up on that. Uh, Carissa did a story about the Fairholme case. Uh, that's the uh, the huge hedge fund that was that's been speculating in GSE stock. Everyone knows they sued the government over the preferred stock purchase agreements. Right. They're trying to get more of those documents released on on you know why and how the PSPAs were uh, first put in place three four years ago. Uh, there's a bunch of back and forth. There were some new motions. Uh, people are hoping that more of these documents get out there so we can get a, a, a clear picture of the government's thinking. Uh, HSBC uh, quickly got into a big settlement with the government over, you know, lo and behold, past underwriting and servicing practices. Uh, they're going to pay out $470 million to different regulators. That's, you know, not surprising. Uh, they're one of the, the last of the mega banks to settle. They, of course, got uh, nailed because of their ownership of household finance, a now defunct subprime lender they bought back in, I think it was back in 2002, 2003. Just a reminder, they paid $14 billion for household <laughs> for finance. Uh, I think it was 2002, and that thing blew a hole in their balance sheet. Of course, just another, you know, legacy uh, story, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Fitch's warning continues to warn about uh, the San Francisco Bay Area uh, being way overpriced or overpriced. Uh, to me, that's a fascinating story. A wonderful city, beautiful city. Everyone loves to, you know, to visit San Francisco for conferences. People love to live, live there. But if you want to buy a two-bedroom home, you better have a million dollars. I mean, just you know, an amazing story. Economy, you know, home prices going through the roof because of the uh, the, you know, social media companies, technology companies in San Jose area. I mean, you know, people love San Francisco. It's beautiful, but you know, you can't afford to live there anymore. I've always wondered whether that's a bubble or you know or not. We'll we'll know shortly, I guess. Maybe uh, short takes. Uh, you know, listen, trade is just a huge story. We report on it every week now, every day, sometimes in the daily. Uh, you know, more rumors about you know trouble in the secondary market, uh, and just you know a bunch of good stuff there. Go check out the short take section on IMF news. 
So uh, that's sort of the long and short of it for this week, unless you want to talk about football or um, you know the game <laughs> yesterday and whatnot. <laughs> So, but uh, I do want to call. I, I asked you. I, well, I've been meaning to ask, and I'll, I'll call you later about the. Uh, you mentioned the margin calls on on banks. I was curious about yeah. that. I must have missed that. It's it's, it's uh, some of the it's it's something that's the potential that we it came in a podcast that we did with uh, Les Parker, and he talks about volatility and the potential for margin calls. It's not that it's actually happening; it's just being on top of it like never before. And I think there's a general sense of complacency for those of us that are looking from the outside that have multiple decades uh, of experience at this and watching volatility return and, and are people really on top of it. So I think this is more going to be one of those developing stories that I'm sure you're going to be reporting on. I hope that's not the case. I hope ever wish this all well, but, man, we're starting off a year where, you know, volatility is upside or downside. It, it, it just has an impact on people sure. and the balance sheets and the cash flow. The, the key to this is when you start understanding the cash flow components of this, Paul, and what that means to companies. So you have to pair out up a position in one particular part of the month, and you're not going to sell it and realize the gain back. That can have that can have be pretty pretty pricey. So mm. all good. It could be net positive, but real interesting stuff. So we're we're tracking that. So yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that more. Good. Thank you so much for joining us, as you do all the time, and greet everyone there. Real honored to have Will you be part of. Podcast. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Let's run over to Alice. It's always fun to get the perspective of Alice. And Alice, you're going to be joining me uh, strong and hard with we're interviewing Loretta a little bit later on on TRID. It's interesting that that is one of the headlines. I've got that story opened here. So as we go through the rest of the podcast, I hope to get a chance to take a glance over that TRID woes. So we've got our our TRID in the trenches is what uh, Loretta gave me. That is a great uh, title. So we're going to be talking about that. But good to have you, Alice. And uh, what you got for us today? Yes, Dave. Well, you know, uh, I think ultimately what it all boils down to is at first people didn't think TRID was so bad because it was just a few loans and you could run around and send lots of emails and talk to people and it took all these touches in order to get one of them closed. But because they were smaller percentages, people kind of muddled their way through it and go, okay, well, this isn't that bad. Well, when, now, of course, by December, it, almost 100% of your pipeline is these loans and you can't run around right. asking questions. And, you know, all the gaps in your training and procedures are becoming glaring. So, um, yes, I'll be, it'll be great to talk about that with Loretta. Um, from a minute standpoint here, just on the legislative updates, just a heads up for folks. You know, we have to stay on top of our income calculation guides over here at Indicom because we have this fabulous product called Income Analyzer that will calculate your income for you and list conditions that you need to make sure that you're getting. So it's a great product. And we were finding and talking to some folks that they had forgotten about Fannie Mae's selling guide announcement back in August that had reminded us that here at the beginning of February, their new K-1 guides were going to be going into effect. So February 1st, 2016 was the is the effective date for the delayed mandatory implementation of the self-employed borrower policies uh, that were published a while ago. Now, before you get worried, you know the bottom line was how are you treating your K-1 income? Um, so their guide is updated to reflect this. Take a look at it. You know, primarily in order to be able to use the K-1 income, it means you have to go through some extra steps. Um, so in underwriting, we highly recommend you actually document that you walk through the three extra steps. The borrower has access to income. Uh, they actually have adequate liquidity. And how did you mathematically determine that, which we're happy to help you with how that math works as well. So just a heads up about that little, you know, that that's always a tough one, right, when they say, oh, three months from now, <laughs> don't yeah. forget this pipeline goes into place. So just a reminder there for everyone on your self-employed borrowers. Um, 
CFPB, I'm sorry, the Federal Reserve is actually going to be hosting a WebEx on March 1st. So we will be watching that, reporting on that for all of you, uh, again, on the TRIP subject. And they, we're hoping that they do have some answers to all the construction lending questions that are pending out there these days. And then, of course, it's humda season. Yay! Humda. You are right. All the compliance people are anxiously checking their reports today and this month in order to get it filed by the end of the month. Um, we do see that, um, at least for this year, there aren't any major changes. Um, our heads up for everybody is that by next month in March, as soon as you get this report filed, get your errors reconciled, then you start working on what your plan needs to look like to get this year's data cleaned up and you're ready for 2017. Uh, so I think we're going to be perhaps uh, later in this year devoting a show to that to help folks uh, prepare kind of what your next steps are for Honda. So this year it's the status quo, but you'll have to make changes for next year. Uh, then we also have that um, FHA, um, their electronic appraisal delivery is coming into effect this June. So lenders, you have some steps you have to walk through for this onboarding phase, and you need to get that started now. Um, so make sure you're checking FHA's website and you're getting set up for the EAD on that component. And then we're still looking at all the details within the Wells Fargo um, case. So, of course, there was that $1.2 billion FHA settlement on all these old yeah. files. I mean, they're files went back to 2001 through 2010. And there's a lot of stuff to dig in there to go, okay, what do they care about today? Those loans are five years old, right? Even the most recent ones are five years old from today. And one of the things lenders want to get to the bottom of is, what if I have an FHA loan that is uninsured? Now what do I do? So those steps are things that you have to, in some cases, need to seek legal counsel, but you don't just get to keep those FHA premiums. So we'll um, keep following up with some of the details that are part of these settlements, and that's a big one I think I want to make sure folks are aware of. Um, we all have the occasional FHA loan that goes bad and that you end up owning and holding in your portfolio. Uh, you want to make sure you're not just going to continue to service it as an FHA. You don't just get to keep those premiums as being self-insured. Uh, so you do need to uh, check with your attorneys and follow up to make sure you're handling those loans right uh, post-FHA or when they're no longer insured. So those are my tips for today because, as you guys already said, everybody focus on the Super Bowl, so there's no new legislation today. That's right. So I'll pass it back to you, well, Dave. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Alice. Looking forward to your comments and questions and contributing to the discussion with Loretta. We've got Sam Garcia coming up right after the break, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this brief word. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Yeah, good. Asks absolutely. You'll find out just how much of an edge you can get by calling her, giving Alice a call. Give him a call. I encourage that. And Alice can be reached, of course, at uh, the phone number there is uh, 248-737-0366. Am I still got that number right, Alice? Is that the best number to reach you at, your staff at? Uh, it's 800-278-0200. 
I was thinking that I just realized I got to update my notes. That's your old uh, that's your old mortgage to number. Anyway, got to Yes, yes. Damn, these are eight hundred numbers. Save your nickels. <laughs> Save your nickels for sure. Uh, does it cost any more? It's the world, the new world we're in. Sam, good to have you with us, my friend. I also want to tell everybody to get signed up with Sam Garcia's MortgageDaily.com, one of the resources I go to regularly to find out what's going on, and uh, specifically the reports. Check it out at MortgageDaily.com. Sam, what you got for us? Hey, Dave. Uh, we saw a nice bump in business. Our last, last week, our mortgage market index jumped 35%. And that index, of course, reflects average per-user rate locks by clients of open-close. And behind that surge was a 45% jump in refinance rate locks, uh, which, of course, reflects recently plunging interest rates. And I can see right now that it looks like it's been a couple months since the 10-year yield was as low as it is right now. So uh, that's probably only going to get better this week. Um, we, we got, of course, the jobs report last month, and we pulled out uh, – from that report, the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out numbers on the mortgage industry, and it showed it was up a, a modest 100 jobs in December, but of course that's non-bank jobs. Um, using that BLS data and also using our own mortgage origination data, um, we estimate that the total uh, number of people in the mortgage business at banks, at non-banks, at credit unions, was 648,000 uh, during December. So that included 286,200 people at banks, uh, another 60,400 people at uh, credit unions, and then the 301,000 uh, people that are uh, at non-banks working in the mortgage business. So, uh, you know, it's holding up. Uh, it was kind of a weak report, so the, the mortgage uh, data was a little bit uh, optimistic relative to the rest. The Mortgage Bankers Association put out their Mortgage Credit Availability Index, and that was down in January. And when that's down, that means home lending standards have tightened. And it turned out to be the third month in a row that that index was lower. Don't know why. Uh, it wasn't, you know, there weren't really anything that was outstanding that, uh, you know, shot out and said, hey, this is a, a problem here. But credit credit tightened. Uh, another report came from the, the Federal Reserve. It's their uh, loan officer survey. And what was interesting in that report is uh, that demand at banks for jumbo mortgages has recently gone down. And what they're looking at the last three months of activity. But at the same time, HELOC demand was up. So uh, who knows what's going on there. Uh, reverse mortgage lending, uh, Reverse Market Insight reported that FHA endorsed 8% fewer home equity conversion mortgages in January than in December, and it turned out to be the slowest month since September 2014. So uh, government-insured reverse mortgage lending has been slowing down quite a bit, at least in the last couple of months. Um, the American Bankruptcy Institute put out some data that indicated consumer bankruptcy filings were down 3% in January to just under 50,000 filings. Um, over at uh, at the GSEs, they uh, they updated their process for resolving repurchases in a move that's intended to provide lenders with more certainty, and that seemed to uh, generate some good feedback from people in the industry. So, uh, people a little bit happy about that in the industry. Uh, over at uh, at Jenny May, Jenny May reported that its MBS issuance was up six percent in January to thirty three point seven billion. Uh, yeah, and then even more interesting, I think, is uh, that jumbo in issuance soared 21% during the month. So they had a good month <laughs> at the same time that we're seeing jumbo uh, demand go down, according to the Fed. So a little bit conflicting there. But uh, uh, overall, uh, 
uh, EMBS reported that a fixed rate issuance at Fannie and Freddie was both they were both uh, lower uh, in January, the first month of this year. So even though uh, Jenny was up, Fannie and Freddie were down at least for the first month. Uh, PennyMac reported its quarterly earnings, and they reported that originations fell 28% from the third quarter to $11 billion in the fourth quarter, uh, though a- annual activity was up. But what was uh, really interesting was that PennyMac said it, it will uh, be launching a wholesale lending program this year. So we've got another wholesaler on the out there for brokers to use. Um, over at Wells Fargo, they disclosed last week that they had 581 layoffs uh, nationally. Uh, I, I did some digging there and found that uh, at least locations in North Carolina, North Dakota, Oregon, and Washington were impacted. And the company said that a, a decline in distressed loan levels uh, and also only modest improvements in demand for mortgage financing uh, were behind those layoffs. And uh, finally, uh, we had an interesting story we picked up last week. The Department of Justice reported that a former vice president at SunTrust Mortgage and his wife and two brothers-in-law uh, were found guilty of mortgage fraud. So wow. apparently he and, he and his wife were recruited from Bank of America and came over and uh, did some uh, mortgage fraud to get loans approved back in 2006 and 2007. So those are some of the highlights. We had a lot of news last week, and I think as we, you and I were talking, it's really slow today. Yeah, you could see there was no government <laughs> new data out today, but uh, uh, and I attribute that to the Super Bowl because we see that each year. It gets kind of slower uh, during this national uh, quasi-holiday. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's, it, it, it's good. Interesting. You, you would be the one to be noticing because you are definitely – you know, going out there and perusing all the networks, everything that's going on to see uh, what what what's happening. So, good job, really appreciate it. I thank so much, sir, for your job, uh, for the job of reporting on this and uh, all the work that you go through to bring this these really interesting news stories to the uh, to the forefront in your website. Again, check it out, folks. MortgageDaily.com or email Sam Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com or call him at two one four five two one thirteen hundred. Sam, thanks so much for being with us, my friend. Have a great rest of the week. Appreciate the opportunity, David. You bet, your friend. All the best. All right. Well, I want to get over and talk briefly about the key performance indicator, the latest. Uh, well, no, excuse me. Jim Jump. I got Jim Jump here with the chief of marketing officer for Arch Mortgage Insurance, and uh, I want you to learn more about the rate, um, the Rate Star program. It, it's a really attractive program. If you have not contacted one of your sales reps uh, at um, Arch Mortgage Insurance about this program, I encourage you to do so. Here, listen to this. Hello, David. Always a pleasure to be on the program. Today, I want to share some information about ArchMI's most dynamic and competitive MI rate program. It's called ArchMI RateStar, and it's a revolutionary mortgage insurance pricing solution that goes well beyond traditional MI rate sheets to provide competitive rates matched precisely to your borrower. And is now available for customer use. The new program allows for ArchMI's customers to obtain the most precise mortgage insurance rate possible for each loan they insure with ArchMI. ArchMI RateStar has already generated tremendous customer interest and enthusiasm for this new, more precise approach to pricing mortgage insurance coverage. We are confident that mortgage originators will recognize that ArchMI's RateStar is easy to access, it's easy to use, it's really innovative, and it delivers some of the most competitive rates in the industry. RateStar is available to customers via ArchMI's website, archmi.com, and the mobile app is available for Apple and Android devices. It is fully integrated with most loan origination systems and products and pricing engines. And with that, David, I will turn it back over to you and say thank you very much for the time. 
You betcha, Jim. By the way, folks, check out this this mobile app. That is one thing I was checking out again. Of course, I'm seeing everything go the way of mobile apps, and uh, those companies that are the most innovative are out there doing things on a mobile basis because, face it, we're all stuck on our mobile devices more and more, even when we're in the office. So uh, check it out. I encourage you to check it out. Again, archmi.com. Uh, it, it's very, very interesting stuff. So check it out. Head over there and uh, get a hold of your marketing representative. Great group of people over there. Really enjoy them, and we're honored to have them as a sponsor of the program. Also, we have the Key Performance Indicator of the Week from Motivity Solutions, the KPI of the Week. And with us we have John Maynell, who is the VP of Client Solutions. And so it's always fun to hear what they're producing as KPIs. I learned from these, so pay attention to this. Thank you, David, very much. Great to be here, as always. And this week, we have another underwriting-focused key performance indicator, and the KPI is average resubmits per file. This single measurement can not only help lenders develop consistency in underwriting and optimize departmental processes, it can also guide business users to examine contributing tasks in processing that affect this number. KPIs in practice, and you might say by definition, are constantly on display and updated in near real time, making it much easier to pinpoint however many friction points may be combining to produce a given effect, like number of resubmissions, which can also vary by product type, another aspect that the KPI can uncover, demonstrating once again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. I like that. What gets measured gets results. So true, 100%. I even do that, apply that to myself. I know my wife applies that to me, so what gets measured gets results. It's for sure a fact. Check it out at MotivitySolutions.com or call 303-721-9000 to learn more. Excited to be talking about this issue with TRID. We have so many people that are struggling with this issue across the country, and I'm just really honored to have with us uh, someone who has been on the forefront of helping this industry get ready for this, and her name is Loretta Salzano. She's with the law firm Franzine and Salzano. She is a partner and the president of the company, of the law firm, and is recognized highly in the industry. She's a her law firm practices primarily in the consumer financial services area and that type of law, including representing banks, independent mortgage bankers, independent mortgage lenders, brokers, title insurance companies, realtors, uh, appraisal companies, regulatory compliance. I mean, it's just a full gamut. You look at everything that this firm covers, and it's a great resource. And I'm really enjoying my conversations as we got ready to come to this broadcast. Also, she is also does the legal work for Simplify, who will be our guest next week. So I'm I'm really interested in getting her perspective uh, as we look at the TRID trauma that's going out there. And she gave me the great title for this, pro- this program or this, this week's uh, podcast, and it's TRID in the Trenches. So welcome to the podcast, Loretta Salzano. Loretta, good to have Thank you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm glad you said TRID in the Trenches and not TRID trauma. I'm going to try to be more positive. Yeah, it is. It, it, I think we've gotten past. I think we've gotten past the trauma. We have different traumas than some of the ones we had six months ago, but it's an evolution <laughs> and a journey. We've just exchanged it for one. You know, now that we're in the trenches, we're experiencing you know what it's like, and and so it, it can seem traumatic for some, and then for others, it's just almost slugging through it and getting through the issues. And that's really why we wanted to invite you on here. Again, you do a great job advising really some of the market leaders in the industry, such as Simplify, 
Looking forward to their comments next week. And then also, really, many lenders in the marketplace. So let's start with your perspective, and then I'm going to have Alice jump in. Of course, Joe, you're welcome to jump in with any questions you have at any point in time. But you know, really want to focus in on what you are seeing as far as some of the stumbling blocks in the industry uh, and, and and why why is it that they were not into better anticipated from your perspective? Well, some of my clients tell me that um, in implementing TRID, they realize all of the weaknesses or compliance gaps they had, whether it's in staffing or processes or systems, because TRID really starts so early and now continues through so many different systems and processes where maybe there were weak links that were uncovered. I think even folks that had been planning 18 months in advance, working with their system providers, working with settlement agents, working with their whole teams have found uh, challenges with their investors and other challenges. And, And when I look at these, some of the things are caused by new provisions in the rule, and others are issues that we revisit every time we have a regulatory change. So they go into those buckets. Some of them are just wrong information, whether the wrong information is coming from system coding or lenders' misinterpretation of the rules or closing agent errors, uh, simply not following the rule about simple things that are in the rule but that we haven't been looking at before, maybe adding the time zone to a rate lock. Um, Mm, Other problems, I think, are due to the regulatory ambiguity. Even though the initial rule was almost 1,900 pages, uh, not surprisingly, it doesn't address every real-life situation, right, when we start to get into the trenches and come up with real-life loans in real time. So I think part of that's regulatory ambiguity. And then the third is the problem I guess I anticipated. My concern was when we turn this on with a shift in roles with settlement agents now not being at the forefront of preparing that settlement statement but instead having creditors be responsible for the closing disclosure, I was worried about turning that on in real time and what kind of collaboration gaps or snafus or communication gaps we would have, especially when the borrowers are selecting their own settlement agents who might not always practice in this space. And I think a lot of what we've seen has been as a result of the disconnect between lenders and settlement agents. There, it's true, and I know we're going to get into some of this next week with Simplify how they go to meet that that solution or that meet that need through their electronic uh, communication, and are you seeing a lot of people take advantage of that, or is that, um, or is it still people dealing with it in the archaic old manner that they used to? Well, while I was on the TRID road tour with Alta and MBA, there were lots of folks talking about new technology and systems, in, including systems like Simplifile, for lenders to communicate with settlement agents. But then when we went live, we realized that more and more our lender clients were telling us we're not using those platforms either because uh, sometimes the cost, sometimes integration issues with the settlement agents they're working with, and they have resorted to secure emails. And I hear on the street sometimes even unsecure emails where they're sharing information and sharing data much like they did in the olden times, maybe even um, handwriting things or faxing things. Someone told me last week, I was, I thought, fax, still, go figure. So it's, 
even though we've set up these means to help the process, if there's frustration in the system and there just isn't time or it's found to be an impediment or slowing down the process, people are still communicating via email or other ways. And I think that's especially the case in situations with lenders when they're being forced to work with settlement agents who maybe have not um, closed a lot of these loans or in smaller communities or are practitioners who do lots of different kinds of things. I have a client up in New Hampshire who was talking about they had closing agents and they work along in certain parts of the community uh, that they just they have closing agents that hadn't heard of TRID. I mean, it's hard, like, oh, no, under what kind of rock in this industry? That is just floors me. Uh, but right. I want to get Alice in on this t- discussion. And, Alice, you and I were together in Boston last week, and we were working with a company that is, you know, really went all out to understand this. And I think they're one of the companies that are the better companies in the marketplace trying to meet the needs of that. But even they struggled, especially when you put up that calendar that you did. And I want to talk a little, why don't you explain a little bit of what you did there, and then also your your perspective, and, and you and Loretta, ask it, Loretta, you know, get in with this discussion with Loretta and us, please. Well, the hi Loretta, welcome to the show. So the the, the calendar that Dave is talking about that is something that we just we do in our proactive processing courses when we go out and do efficiency reviews for clients or you know, we were doing the same thing you were where they're saying, Okay, I have to implement TRID, how do I do this? You have to start with the end in mind, right? So if I'm trying to close a loan on the 30th of the month, and let's just say we're lucky and that's a weekday, and I take an application or get a signed purchase agreement on the 1st of the month, and the contract says you have 30 days to close, then you do a backwards timeline, right? If you say, okay, well, I have to, the borrower has to sign off on the CD three days ahead of that. In order for that to happen, I have to have a completed CD, and my closer had to have the file for 24 hours and so on. And I do this backwards timeline where we walk through actionable items and how long things take, and you realize very quickly you run out of days now with this three-day waiting period for the way some companies have certain procedures in place. You know, they'll have something that all along they thought was fine, uh, we're going to have to wait till this point before we do this uh, next point. And they realize there's light bulbs that go on for the roadblocks. So I guess I'd like to hear from you, you know, um, in what you've seen, what are some of the changes companies have had to make to adapt to this uh, with, you know, trying to buy three days out of the process? That's exactly right. You know, we had a lot of clients that right out of the gate said, you know, we think that there's a competitive advantage in getting that closing disclosure out early. We're going to send it out right away, even before the loan is clear to close. And then we all started stumbling over this gap or black hole problem, and we certainly encourage our clients not to do that because once you issue the closing disclosure, it's you have a very limited time in which you can rebaseline. So I think pulling back, and absolutely you need to count back from that timeline. We've seen people reallocate their resources so that they have um, quicker underwriting. They put more people on files. They change functions for closers. They're adding more pre-closing quality control to make sure they can lock that loan down in the conditions and the fees earlier in the process through project management, we see uh, a huge shift, which I'm sure you've all seen, from using paper and snail mail 
because of the added time with the mailbox rule and moving to electronic disclosures and proper e-consent, which also has been part of the area where there's pushback because people weren't always implementing their e-consent and electronic disclosures appropriately. We see now that our lender clients, because of the need to get that closing disclosure also to non-titled, non-borrowing folks on the title, there are additional group of people that are entitled to that early disclosure. So that means you need to reach out to the settlement agent and your title examiners quicker to ensure that you're understanding all the parties that are going to be on title. We also see that people are adding new document information or data sheets earlier in the process so that they're sure that they're going to have all of these elements that they need to to populate the CD appropriately, whether it's license numbers, um, contact information. So a correlated effort to get more information earlier in the process. And then we see people even trying to build in a little wiggle room because of some of these unanticipated delays. So do you find that any particular region, you know, one of the things I'm noticing is the difference between, yeah. you know, escrow closing states, non-escrow, when you when you have a wet sign, you get all, you get everybody sitting around the table and you've got title agents who seem a little more engaged than some of the attorneys, although there's some great attorneys in attorney closing states, but have, from your vantage point, have you seen any difference in the, the way the state is closing loans that's impacting this? Well, I think one thing that I've seen is, um, as an attorney, I guess I can say this, some of the, and we're sitting in an attorney closing state here um, in Georgia, I think some of the attorneys tend to be a little more um, pig-headed about what they're doing even when they're doing it wrong. We see some attorneys insist with lenders that they, the lenders accept their HUD-1 settlement statements, which astounds me. Oh, um, yeah, they still are sending HUD-1. Right, and they're, they're arguing with the lender. Um, one of the things that we're going to recommend <laughs> in another webcast we're doing is to um, send closing instructions earlier and maybe append those with some kind of cover letter that, it's a, a warning, you know, or highlights the differences to make sure closing agents are on board. Also working with our lender clients about third-party vendor management, which, of course, has been something we've been working with lenders and, and Alta in light of the CFPB guidance and existing depository guidance about third-party vendor management to make sure that maybe it makes sense for lenders to modify their approval requirements for title agents, whether they're settlement agents or closing attorneys. So to make sure that people who are closing loans are experienced in what they're doing. I think there's been a heightened sensitivity by settlement agents to consumer privacy as a result of that third-party vendor management exercise they've been through through all to best practices. And it's almost a detriment now when we're in the TRID world because while certainly we want to be sensitive to not sharing non-public personal information of borrowers, that doesn't mean we still can't, in wet closing or wet funding states, close the loan with everyone at the table. Um, I've heard people say, oh, we don't think you can do closings with everyone in the room at the same time. But certainly you can. It's just a matter of what you're going to disclose and who's going to be looking at what. So that heightened sensitivity has been a result of a lot of discussions and slowed things down as well. 
Amazing. Uh, Joe, I want to we've kind of let you sit there in the background a little bit. Do you have any questions you want to jump in with with Loretta? Well, I wanted to to ask you, you know, uh, what what line is there a big difference in lines of business like uh retail versus wholesale versus correspondent? Right. Are you seeing oh, that, sure. that one is having a huge ter- uh, issue and others Great are not question. or how do you how do you see that? Well, the our wholesale lender our clients who are dealing with third-party originating with brokers. That's been a huge shift because now they're tied to the timeline of when the broker gets that application. And there was a huge shift prior to implementation about who's going to complete those loan estimates. Is it going to be the broker? Is it going to be the lender? And I think that's been a challenge because if that's done incorrectly, when can a lender put it back? And there's still a lot of um, that not defined in the rule. And so there's a lot of confusion and concern there. And what happens when the broker doesn't, deliver the LE timely or get that application to the lender in time to do it timely. There's no way to cure that. So what's an appropriate response, just like we always had in pre-trid. So I think in the wholesale environment, there are unique challenges. With correspondent lenders, there's less. uh, We've been asked a lot about cure and remedies and assignee liability, and there's a lack of clarity about what the liability is for different types of violations, which is why we see a lot of investors pushing back on very, very minor problems, whether... Whoops. Hello? Did we lose you? Well, did we, I think we lost Loretta. Bumber. She's, oh. she's still showing up. Hopefully she'll bounce back here. That happens, Loretta, when... when Occasionally, so if you're still there, you may need to dial back in if you do hit one so we can see you on the switchboard, but we're not hearing you right at the moment, Loretta. She's still showing up there. That I think that well, was really interesting. I'm trying to get her sound. Can I jump in there on the wholesale yeah, one? Yeah, please. I will vouch for. <clears throat> so on the broker side, we are seeing that lenders, in some cases, didn't change the expectations for the broker. So where they were used right. to, could give them a two-hour, three-hour notice and or less, you know, to generate funds and, and arrange a closing, that's causing huge error rates in CDs because, you know, the, the broker, they want to still keep the business, but you've got to adjust their expectations would be one of the things I think is going to have to evolve in the industry in this next 30 days. That's what I suspect. Loretta, are you back on? I'm back here. I hope. Can you hear me? You hear you now. I found you in the stacks as you reconnected. Thank you so much. That's, that's <laughs> the, joys, the joys of using the voice over IP, everything is done electronically, and occasionally we just have that happen. So, so glad you just dialed right back in. Oh, Did no you hear problem. Alice's comments about that because she was just reinforcing what you said. I think that's a really good right. point. Yeah, on the Well, and with the, on the correspondence side, I think lenders are more comfortable investors in buying the loans from their uh, correspondence, but still a lot of questions about what kind of violations will result in what kind of liability and where things are apparent on their face or not. So we see a lot of trepidation by investors about what it is that they're going to um, accept and putting back loans for very, very minor defects where um, a monetary cure won't work. I think in the retail channel, things have gone much smoother because there's a lot more control in a retail channel and certainly easier to identify problems as you're moving through and address them with your team in real time. There's no question. And I was going to talk more about the um, the correspondence side of it because we are definitely seeing some lenders uh, that are seeming to be more 
uh, cautious and not purchasing right. loans. Um, and other lenders seem to be having worked through whatever issues that they've had and are purchasing loans at a greater pace. What would you know, is there something that the lenders that are that are purchasing faster doing differently that the lenders are not? And is there anyone, any of our mortgage lenders out here selling loans to these lenders? Is there ways that they can discern that before they start taking out commitments from the various correspondent lenders? Well, I suppose part of it's just visiting to know what kind of due diligence they're going to do. You know, some of the lenders said, the investors said, we're going to rely on the reps and warranties. We're not going to get in the weeds on due diligence on each and every one of these loans to put things back, whereas others we've seen, they really are looking at very um, ev- everything on the file and conducting more thorough due diligence. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't bounce back eventually for some of those lenders that are selling them faster. It's possible the investors will put them back. We see a lot of the delays being just getting to closing, right? So there's an additional delay there. While lots of folks are closing them in time, I think most people are saying it's taking an extra three days. So that on top of the three days earlier that we have to have everything ready is, is adding to the pipeline. And we've seen a lot of cures, you know, a lot of monetary cures already percentage-wise, just as a means to get things right with consumers and get those loans to close uh, without having an adverse impact on the the consumer's transaction. We have one client uh, that I work with regularly, Movement Mortgage, went all the way out to doing a lot of videos. They distribute a lot of videos out to all the other out to all the companies trying to educate people as much as advance. Uh, right. What tools are working more effectively that you're seeing to communicate, and then also about what how to be handling this, as well as you know in the transaction of itself. Simplifile has its uh, electronic communication, so I think is very innovative. Looking forward to hearing more about it next week. Right, but- and they do a lot of hand holding, you know, and visiting with them. Once they get the lender signed up, any settlement agent who works with the lender, Simplify is going to help them through it. So if you do have someone who's green or doesn't close a lot of loans or it's their, um, they're used to working with a variety of lenders, they'll hold their hands and get them comfortable with um, communicating some of these fees and making sure that the simultaneous issue is right and some of the more challenging portions of the rule. Interesting. But I think it's just a matter of communication. Lots of training. We've seen our wholesale lender clients engage in lots of training for their brokers and to continue to do that as they learn more and more. Same thing with people having lunch and learns with their teams as we get into the trenches and some of these issues are coming to light, working together with the vendors, whether they're loan origination systems or doc prep companies to make sure everyone's on the right page about how things are working and finding some consensus in some of these areas that are ambiguous or vague in the rules. There's so much this half this this half hour that we set aside for the you know 20 30 minutes we set aside for the hot topic discussion just goes with a just in a blink. I want to thank you so much Loretta for joining us today. It was very helpful. And for people that want to get a hold of you and talk to you about this and retain your firm, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, they can call me the old-fashioned way, 770-248-2881, or they can just Google me, Loretta Salzano, and our law firm website will pop up, and they can reach me that way. We'd be happy to help folks in the trenches and ease their trade trauma. 
Yeah, ease their trid trauma while in the trenches. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to the interview. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, it's just really been a joy. And to get to know you, we want to have you back, Loretta. You're articulate. You're from you're from Michigan State. You know, you're from you graduated from law degree. Got your law degree from the Michigan uh, uh, University of Michigan Law School there, and of course is up in Alice's Neckwood. So we right. have a lot of friends up. And you're now down in Atlanta, but it's uh, love to have you back on talking about issues. So it's just been great That'd to be meet great. you, and look forward to having you back. Appreciate it so much. Folks, we're going to have next week Nancy Alley, who will be here with Simplifile, talking about these very issues. When you look at the complexity of this and you look at what you can do to communicate, there are some great tools that Simplifile has. They have become a new sponsor, but I'm really excited about the things that they're doing and the way that they're communicating. So we're going to be learning more about it. We're here, again, as a public service to help lenders across the uh, industry deal with whatever issues are going on out there, and the Hot Topic segment is exactly that. So be sure to tune in. For our special guest next week, Nancy Alley, who will be with us from uh, from a Simplifile. So we're going to be continuing the discussion. Alice, Joe, thank you so much for doing being a part of this and uh, your contribution, specifically the great question, Joe, on the on the various lenders or the market the trade lines. I mean the various uh, methods of originating, and then also some of your thoughts on this, Alice. Thank you so much for both of you. I'm looking at the market, Joe. We're still we're looking right at 12 uh, 30 seconds. Is that right. correct? We're so hanging the near, the, we near the best levels of the day. Yeah, we may end up the day, end up the day here. So, all the best to both of you, and thank you everybody for listening and tuning in, and share this with others. Appreciate you being a part of the broadcast. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here, looking on lending next week. Mortgage banking Whoops. solutions is. There we go. That familiar song. Think about everyone. Thank you, everyone. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.